Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow. Ask Mapped episode 109 with uh, the marvelous Mapped team, including our newest advisor, Courtney Lewis, former director of admissions at Burrell College of Osteopathic Medicine. Courtney, welcome to the Map team. Hi, thank you. I'm excited to be here. We are excited to have you here and have your knowledge and hopefully answer some amazing questions about osteopathic medicine and applying and uh, just sharing your wisdom about the application process in general. So, yeah. so excited if you have DO specific questions. Today is the day um, and going forward is the day um, to to ask them. Varinia Granum, former... <sighs> Former assistant dean in the pre-health and STEM advising at Hofstra University. Um, how are you doing, Verinia? I'm doing great. Thank you so much. Yes. We, we got to get Courtney one of those fancy headsets so we can uh, <laughs> make it happen. Although, Courtney, you do have a fancy mic. We just got to get it get it set up and working. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. And, of course, MAPT co-founder, Rachel Grubbs. How are you doing, my friend? I'm excellent. I'm so happy to be here. And although Dr. Wright has today off, so we miss him, I am super thrilled that uh, our our pre-med and pre-health friends who are joining us today get to meet Courtney and pick her excerpt brain in addition to all of our brains. Yeah, yeah, and and as we uh, as we roll here, as Courtney disappears, um, as we roll here, um, we'll figure it out, right? We have uh, a, a new advisor. Maybe we just rotate through some advisors as we go forward, so we not have five people uh, on a call, or maybe you want all five of us. Um, so you'll have to let us know. Yeah. Um, but as Courtney is figuring out her stuff, we'll rock and roll, and and uh, we'll get going here. Hmm. Carrie asks, can a Texas school see which other Texas school offered you an interview? Now, if only Dr. Scott Wright were here, he would be able to let us know. As far as I know, they cannot. They cannot see that kind of stuff. But that is a good question. I don't know. Let me, uh, let me, let me send a text. Uh, and uh, Oh, man. Hold on. Uh, let me, I'm going to send a text to our, our TMDSAS uh, people um, and we'll, we'll look at this next question while I do that. So Ray asks, I am a foreign med grad, so an, an IMG, we call them IMGs now. So that tells me um, age, right? And they say mm -hmm. 2011. So FMG used to be the terminology that we use and now it's IMG. I don't know why they changed it, but they did um so step one score 84 percent for an img is is probably pretty low never attempted steps two and three due to immigration and family now have 155 hours gpa 3.5 u.s college mcat underway what are my chances good keep rocking and rolling so so this happens a lot unfortunately where where international medical grads come to this country uh or or try to match in this country so they they take step one step two um i don't know how far along they have to go to um to go into residency um but you really you need really really high step scores um as an international medical graduate uh to come to, to come so a lot of them as as ray has done just go you know what <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna move to the u.s and go take classes uh and get into the educational debt that america seems to love uh, unfortunately. So, uh, yeah, right. Keep pushing. Uh, obviously the higher the GPA, the, the better. Yeah. I think, I think foreign carried negative connotations. That's why it's now international medical graduate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amy asks, what should I answer for schools that are asking for anything else required require, regarding academics, GPA, or MCAT? I feel like saying I've taken the MCAT three times brings attention to that part of my app. 
<laughs> Surprise, Amy! They already see that you've taken it three times. So you're not you're you're not bringing attention to it. They see it. Um, Courtney, in these situations, right? You know, a student's taking the MCAT three times. You. Oh. And she lost. All right. We got to get Courtney's <laughs> internet a little bit stronger uh, for her to, to, to come play with us. Um, Varinia, uh, for, for a student who takes the MCAT three times, a medical school is going to see this. Is this a good opportunity to explain potentially what happened the first two times? Not at all. I, it, I mean, it's not something that really needs to be highlighted um, unless. Well, no, no, no. So let me let me. Make sure you understand here. Okay. The student is saying in the secondary, the school is asking for this information. Oh, okay. Hey, then yes. Tell, yes, tell us about anything academic GPA wise. Um, yes. Then in that case, sure. You can definitely bring it up. Um, the, at the end of the day, though, I feel like if you've improved in your score, it's not something to kind of be afraid to talk about or to hide. Um, just, it, it, you know, explain what happened, explain, you know, what led to it. And that's it. No reason to try to shy away from it. Yes, yes. Yep, just good, good opportunity there. Giorgio, should I be providing an anecdote for all of my AMCAS activity descriptions? Would that get repetitive? So this is a big point of contention. <laughs> a lot of advisors are like, you don't need stories for everything. Stop listening to Dr. Gray. And I'm like, I'm not telling them to put stories for everything. Uh, Rachel, what, what are your thoughts here for this one? Uh. We talk about the value of storytelling as a way of showing impact, right? So if one of your AMCAS activities is, I was lucky enough to shadow eight different doctors or heck, even three different doctors, um, then you're probably just going to list like physician specialty, that that's going to be the whole activity, that essay, that's going to be the whole description. But where we talk about um, an anecdote or maybe not even an anecdote, is an example, is when you are trying to convey meaning. So if you just think about how long have humans been around, and it's hundreds of thousands or millions of years, depending on your particular interpretation of how long we've been human, uh, we mostly communicate through story, right? That's the way humans relate to each other. So if you had something that was meaningful to you. And I'm not talking about most meaningful. I'm saying anything meaningful enough that it's showing up in your AMCAS activity, then you could either try to tell us, I met a wide range of people from many diverse backgrounds and I grew a lot. And the admissions reader is going to go, Jan, I've read about these plural anonymous, many people from many different backgrounds 20 times today. And I still have 20 more apps to go. Um, or you could pick one example of one family or patient that had a different background from you that opened your eyes and convey the same information in a way that is memorable, that anchors that patient in the reader's brain, right? So do you have to provide an AMCAT, an anecdote for every activity? No, you don't. What you want to think about is, are you just describing it or are you taking advantage of the essay to let the reader get to know you and understand either how that activity impacted you or how you impacted your activity? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Rowan, Rowan uh, asks, how would you, how would an admissions committee view getting a master's? The master's would be in a field of interest unrelated to medicine, by similar to my, but similar to my undergrad degree. So this comes up all the time with students who need potentially to improve grades, right? And, and Rowan here isn't necessarily saying, hey, I'm doing a master's to improve my grades. So that would be the first question. Are you doing the master's for grade improvement? If you're doing a master's for grade improvement, the master's should be in some sort of hard sciences or an SMP, a special master's program. That's first and foremost. If you're doing a master's just because you're interested in it, you want a MPH because you're interested in public health, you want to get a master's in bioinformatics because you're interested in that, have at it. 
right? Go, go have fun if you're not using it for grade replacement. And don't worry about what medical schools are going to think about it because they really don't care what kind of other things you're doing. They don't have time to go, oh, look at this other person out here doing this major or getting this master's and this thing that's really interesting. Let's, let's invite this person for an interview. So if you're doing it for fun, go have fun. If you're doing it for grade replacement, it should be hard sciences. Or not grade replacement, but grade enhancement. Yeah. Old school language, grade grade replacement from the old DO days. Megan asks, how do I prepare for interviews? Well, it just so happens. I mean, I wrote a book about it. <laughs> um, Verinia, now is... Um, it's interview season. How mm-hmm. how should students um, prepare for interviews? Practice, 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 practice. Definitely pick up a copy of Dr. Gray's book. Um, get a sense of how to approach the interview. Uh, we talk about this all the time. It's not a job interview where you have to go in and, and answer, um, you know, show your results and show what you've done in your job. You're there to hopefully get to know them, they're there to hopefully get to know you as a person. So practice just having uh, conversations around certain topics that are bound to come up. Like, why do you want to be a doctor? Why our school? Why should we select you? Get comfortable with those types of questions. And you'll find tons and tons of those in the book. Um, and then get rid of all the preconceived ideas that you may have about what an interview should look like and approach this just as though you were having a conversation with someone that you met who really just wants to get to know who you are. Love it. Love it. So let's go back to Carrie's question. If we can uh, find it, Carrie's question was about can Texas schools see which other Texas schools offered you an interview? And my amazing uh, rep that I have at TMDSAS has confirmed that, yes, they can. Um, so they can see what schools you applied to. They can see what schools are offering you interviews. Um, so it's interesting, which is very different, I think, than than other institutions or the other application services. I know AMCAS had big changes with their um, – uh, with their process with what schools could see or couldn't see that schools schools didn't like. So previously schools were able to see where you were getting acceptances. And if they wanted to offer you an acceptance, they would go, well, Sally has, has an acceptance at Harvard. They're not going to want to come to Podunk State University Medical School. And so that state school wouldn't offer an, uh, an acceptance at that point. And, um, I think the the legal minds got together and said there that's some legal issues surrounding this process. So I, I just texted uh, my contact back and I was like, mm, any thoughts about changing that? Since the AAMC and AMCAS obviously um, gave into some legal pressures of, of changing that. So we shall see. Interesting. Yeah. Flo asks, should we still apply the cycle if we have an MCAT date of August? I already submitted my application, but Reddit said it was too late. (sighs) Rachel, they already applied, so I don't know why they're asking if they should still apply. Maybe still submit secondaries. Yeah. Um, What are your thoughts here? Yeah. uh, So, Flo... Sometimes uh, Dr. Wright talks about optimal, acceptable, not acceptable. Um, And optimally, you would be taking the MCAT a lot earlier. And here's why. You said you've already submitted your application. So it sounds like at least one primary app for at least one school has been sent, right? Maybe additional primaries. So you've already spent that money. And that probably means you're also automatically getting some secondaries now, which you can choose to spend money on or not depending on whether or not you're going to proceed with this cycle. Let's say you you said you have an MCAT date in August. I don't know if that's early in August or late, but so let's say it's mid-August. That means your MCAT score is not coming until mid-September. So there's two things going on here. One is you're going to have to do your secondaries at the same time you do your MCAT because, well, you don't have to, but if if you're going to proceed with this plan, that's what I would strongly recommend is finding a way to balance both. And then just keep in mind... Med schools 
almost all of them in the U.S. do rolling admissions, which means that they look at applications as they come in and get complete and start offering interviews. And most schools start offering interviews. The first round will happen in July for August. But you won't be in that round because you're not going to have a complete application until your MCAT comes in and your secondaries come in. Um, so is it optimal? No. Is it still acceptable? You know, it's kind of on the line. Um, typically, I say if you're if you're applying in on August, or in this case, kind of wrapping up your application in August or September, that I hope you have really good stats. And the reason is, is that a lot of interview seats will already have been given away. And interviews are where the big weeding happens, right? Thousands and thousands of people apply and um, a small fraction of them get interviews. So what you're doing is limiting the chances of getting interviews. That said, I know someone who took the MCAT in September last year who is having her first week of med school right now. So it is still possible. And what you just have to decide is, what does my summer look like? What do I have on my plate besides MCAT and secondaries? Am I going to be able to get everything in? Am I confident I'm going to kill the MCAT and confident enough that I want to pay the money for secondaries? Or do I want to cut my losses, just focus on MCAT and reapply next year? It's not a right or wrong. It's your decision. Good luck. Yeah. And and one other thing I'll add to that is that schools have the ability to save interview spots for perfect applicants. And perfect doesn't mean best stats, but perfect right. applicants for them. So I, I know I've, I've had this conversation um, with someone who's uh, part of the admissions at UC Riverside, where they have a very specific mission to serve the Inland Empire. And they will, if, if someone applies at the deadline and they're, they're from the Inland Empire, they will offer that person an interview, uh, assuming everything else works out stat-wise, um, because that's the mission that they serve. And so mm-hmm. they'll save. So if it's a, it's a very mission specific, if it's a DE and I specific, there, there are lots of reasons why students get interviews later in the cycle, because it, it fits that school specifically. Yeah. Big picture, broad generalizations, the later that you apply, the, the, the worse you are. Right. And I guess what I'll also mention here, Flo, because this, this has come up several times this summer, is this is one of those things about the med school application process that is not clear. Um, part of what MAPT and med school headquarters are trying to do is make it much more clear. But a lot of people bring what they know about other school admissions processes to the med school and assume well, the deadline's in the fall. I can apply anytime I want in the summer and fall, and I'm in good shape. But this rolling admissions makes it really tricky. Um, so, so you're not alone in having this confusion. And you just now that you know what you know, you need to make a decision. But it's it's one of the really tough parts about the med admissions process that that it's it's not well advertised that earlier applicants have better chances. Mm-hmm. Matt Mack, do you think that schools who are recommending or requiring the AAMC preview exam will be using it similar to those who use Casper? Using it similar. So in terms of like schools potentially filtering based on Casper or uh, screening based on Casper, I'm assuming that's the question. And the answer is, yeah. So the, the AAMC, let me see if I can pull it up actually, because I'm pretty sure this is public information um the the AAMC gave a talk at uh the national advisor association conference recently and talked about the schools uh each of the schools that are using preview and how they are using preview so if i pull that up here donde 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 um Maybe I don't have it. Let's see. School, school, school. And... Yeah. So, um, yeah, they, they don't have um, – they, the only information they gave, schools that are using it for research only at this point are Carl Illinois College of Medicine, Chicago Medical School, 
Oklahoma College of Medicine and Virginia School of Medicine. Those are the research only. And then there's the required recommended, but they, they didn't break it down specifically how they're using it. And, and so they, the question always comes down to, are you using it to screen for interviews? Are you using it to screen for acceptances post-interview? Are you using it just for data gathering? And the answer is yes, the, the schools use it for all of those things. How they specifically are using it, nobody knows. Eshoy98, hello, does the school where you do your formal post program play a significant role in admissions? <laughs> so, Rachel, you and I were talking a little bit about this yesterday because there's a uh, uh, somewhat prestigious institution in the, the Midwest. Uh, is Chicago Midwest? Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, uh, that basically comes out and says, hey, the, the rigor of your coursework and where you did it plays a role. And so that I asked very specifically, um, or a student asked very specifically um, and sent me this information that <clears throat> community college, they're like, we accept it. And <laughs> the rigor of the school uh, is, is considered in admissions process. So uh, that's one school. There are lots of schools where the where you do your formal post back isn't going to matter. So big picture, you'll be fine wherever you go. Do what works for you financial wise, time wise. Veronica's got that trigger finger ready to go with next question. Slow down there, Sally, <laughs> slow down. Um, uh, the, the uh, do what works financial wise, time wise, yeah. et cetera. So if you're working full time, you need to take yeah. night classes at community college. Like if that's the only option, that's not going to bankrupt you then, then do what you got to do. Yeah. Uh, I find that so off putting, mm-hmm. like how, how do they know the rigor of the school? Exactly. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm not aware of, of, is that kind of data being public? Um, yeah. I mean, it's it's why we have things like the MCAT, because we know that undergraduate curriculum should be roughly similar, but they might not be. Um, so although we have found one school that admitted that they may have a preference, a bias against community college or DIY postback, I I find that really icky. Yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't want to go to that school. Yeah. Um, yeah. A school that claims to have. Uh, a bias-free curriculum. Right. Like, yeah. Your admissions <laughs> yeah. sure is biased. Their hey. website yeah. says they have a bias-free curriculum, but their admissions, no, you have to be rich enough mm. to be able to afford a formal postback. Ick. Do not like. Nope. Yeah. Tatiana, would it be wrong to center a personal statement around the lack of Hispanics in the medical field? If my EC aligns, uh, such as being a mentor in the uh, Hispanics Scholars Society. So I'm going to give you the advice that I give everyone. And then there are plenty of advisors out there that will say Dr. Gray is wrong and what he's saying is dumb and whatever. Uh, our philosophy is that the personal statement is why do you want to be a doctor? A lack of Hispanics in the medical field, I guess, is a reason why you want to be a doctor. But that's not why you didn't just go, let me open a book. Let me, my, my Encyclopedia Encyclopedia Britannica that's sitting on the shelf. And uh, let me go uh, look at the uh, careers with the least amount of uh, Hispanic or, or Latin uh, ex-people. And... Uh, I'm going to, whichever one has the the least, I'm going to go pick, right? That's probably not how you got to this point. You had other reasons why you are choosing the medical field and being Hispanic is a big part of obviously who you are and, and a, a piece that you want to bring to this field. So, um, Use use that info as as you will, Ver, uh, Verinia. What do you think about this? I agree with what you're saying. I mean, it, it, it the personal statement should only center around why medicine and why you're yeah. doing this. Um, and yeah, if you can weave in the fact that you you know have had experiences where you've recognized that there's just not that many doctors that look like you, sure, if it's a part of your story. But really, the center or the theme, the central theme of your personal statement should be why do you want to be a doctor. Yeah. The only other thing I'll add to that, oops, back, uh, is 
often secondaries have a question that is, what do you think you're bringing to this med school that is unique or how are you adding to the diversity of the med school? And that could be about ethnicity, but it doesn't have to be. Diversity can mean a lot of things. So I also agree. We're all here at MAPT in the School of Thought that your personal statement should be why medicine. So you're not telling your life story. You're only telling those highlight moments that relate to why medicine. Um, but, But you're probably going to have a chance to talk specifically about here's how my, my self-identification and my dream of being a doctor intersect. It's, it's, it's going to come up again later, most likely. Absolutely. Yes, yes. BK asks, do committee letters hold any real weight when evaluating applicants? I go to a notoriously difficult undergrad public school that require a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot for the committee letter. Yeah. Thank you, Hunter College. <laughs> um, I'll call them out every time I have the chance. Uh, unfortunately, some schools like their committee letters. Um, so any real weight? who's to determine what real weight means. Um, I, I am of the opinion that every student at Hunter should just completely ignore their committee and, and go get individual letters and uh, do what you want. And yeah, I, I still have yet to send them a, a, a nice email. <laughs> um, yeah. So Hunter is one that, that their committee has their, their standards and they say, if, if you want a committee letter to apply to medical school, if you're applying only MD, you need to have your MCAT score in by October of the year prior to your application, which automatically like delays a lot of people. Um, if you want a committee letter, MD only, you need a 514 that's what they consider a competitive MCAT score. If you're applying DO, then you need a 507. You need to jump through a lot of hoops in terms of classes and and workshops and other things potentially that they want you to go to. And those seem more reasonable because you want your students ready to to apply, but those those other hoops are just ridiculous. And then they, uh, yeah, I've talked to a lot of students at that school and they all feel like they're held hostage by this committee. And it's, it's sad. Precision. I have a 305 science GPA over six years in college due to a rough start, changed my habits and my last 66 credit hours. Thank you for the trend is a 3.93. Amazing. MCAT was a 517. Do I need a do-it-yourself post-back or are my stats good enough? Verinia, nice upward trend, Mm -hmm. 66 credits, three, nine, three. Mm -hmm. I mean, to me, they basically did their post back while they were still in school. What what are your thoughts? Do they need more proof? No, I don't think so. 66 credits on a steady upward trend. Um, you know, it's it's enough, I think, to establish that, yeah, you grew, you you recovered, you came back from whatever happened those first couple of semesters, and you've proven that you can handle the work. Um, you did very well on your MCAT. Uh, no, I think your stats are good enough. Yeah. Big nods. Mm-hmm. Orlando, I am an RN working in the ED of a teaching hospital. It would have been cooler if it was like, I'm an RN working the ED of a TH where I work with uh, MDs constantly uh, and DOs. Would you consider that as shadowing or would you still consider shadowing as required? Rachel Grubbs, this one comes up a bunch, specifically from our nurse friends wanting to go to med school. Yeah. So there are different advisors will give you different answers, but my opinion is No, that is not shadowing. Um, You're working with physicians constantly. That's great. I love to see RNs apply to med school. You're coming with amazing clinical experience and insights. But, um, you know, I I don't know the specifics of your position, but in many cases when RNs and physicians are working together, they're working together primarily at the bedside or just specific to the patient interactions. And I think the value of physician shadowing is seen the whole day. So what I would probably do if I were you, and I wouldn't worry about getting a ton of shadowing because you do have all this amazing clinical, but talk to some of those physicians you work with and say, 
hey, sometime when you're on shift, but I'm not, can I come shadow you through the rest of your day so that you're seeing their time charting, their time on the phone with insurance. You're just seeing the parts of the job that aren't, aren't the part where you already directly interact with them, just to get a bigger lens on what the day in the life of a physician looks like. Um, that is the goal. The goal is to, to look at the, the whole picture of, of what that physician life is like and not just at the bedside with them. Henry, in terms of institutional actions, if no charges were filed through my dean of students office, do we need to include this in the disciplinary actions section of the application? That is a very specific nuanced question that uh, you may want to speak <laughs> with a lawyer. Um, but I, I think you need to go to your undergrad and say, hey, do I have any institutional actions on my record? Um, so I, I think ultimately that's that's where you go. Just if if they say no, then the answer is no. If they say yes, then the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. Jennifer, can I do clinical experiences in a private doctor's office? Yes. I mean, public doctor's offices would be a little bit weird, like show up <laughs> to the park. Hey, I'm here for my, my appointment. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there are outdoor mobile clinics. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> there are. Street medicine is a thing. So yeah, that, that works. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm not really understand understanding the, the question. I don't know why. Yeah, exactly. Maybe that's yeah. why. I just put up the clinical does not have to be in a clinic banner because I assume that's where Miss Jennifer's getting caught. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Jennifer, if you've watched some Ask, De- Ask the Deans, now Ask Mapped, uh, you know that uh, we, we, we don't think clinical can be told by where you are or your title. It can only be determined by what you do and how you interact with the patients. So if you're in a doctor's office, is it automatically clinical? No. Could it be clinical? Sure. Could be. Yeah. So, so doctor's office, maybe versus hospital, maybe that was the, the big mm-hmm. differentiation. Yeah. Be around patients. Kyle asks, beyond being more friendly to non-trads, is there something different that osteopathic medical schools look for in an applicant compared to allopathic schools? If only our new advisor, <laughs> Courtney, was here. <laughs> Courtney, Courtney's having uh, internet issues or streamyard issues or, or something. Uh, so I'll, I'll try to, to weigh in on this. So being more friendly to non-trads, Definitely historically that has been the case for osteopathic medical schools. Is there something different that osteopathic medical school look for in an applicant? I'm not sure anything different. Um, Obviously they're looking for your understanding of osteopathic medicine uh, and potentially what your thoughts are there and and why you're interested in osteopathic medicine. And, And you don't need to shadow. This is a big myth in the world. You don't need to shadow an osteopathic physician to apply to osteopathic medical schools. You don't need an osteopathic letter of recommendation to apply to osteopathic medical schools. But ideally you do, but you don't need them. Because you can still go research stuff on your own. You can you can go ask questions. You can go watch YouTube videos. You can do a lot of things that will help you understand. So I think that's the biggest thing is just big understanding. Now, a lot of uh, osteopathic medical schools will say they focus on primary care. A lot of allopathic schools say they focus on primary care. So I don't think that's a huge differentiator. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, it'd be nice. Maybe next time, uh, Kyle, come back and ask again uh, when when Courtney is is back with us. There we go. <laughs> AJ, hi, Dr. Gray and Verinia and Rachel. Uh, I'm writing secondaries right now, and I was wondering if submitting a few days after two weeks will be okay. Thank you. Two weeks is not a formal rule unless it is by the school, so sure. Yashen, uh, is it necessary to address being a reapplicant in secondaries? And if so, do you have any tips for how to best do this? Thanks. Vernia, there are specific secondary questions that say if you're a reapplicant, what have you done to improve? Uh, yep, absolutely. And that's exactly how you answer it. 
you tell them <laughs> that you are a reapplicant and let them know what you've been up to ever since. Yeah. And that's it. So one of my biggest uh, uh, kind of ways of addressing this is is typically around calling yourself out is, is language that I usually use. Like, tell me why you think you didn't get into school last year. Mm-hmm. I don't like when students are just like, well, I improved my MCAT score. I got more clinical experience, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, well, that doesn't necessarily tell me why you don't think or why you think you didn't get in. So uh, call yourself out and say, hey, I applied last year and I, I didn't understand how to reflect about my journey and, and write a good personal statement. I had a bad MCAT score. I had no clinical experience. I had whatever that answer is for you and then address how you address those shortcomings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I think you only need to address it if the school asks for it. Um, If there's a question about anything else you want to tell us, I don't think you need to go, Hey, I'm a reapplicant. They obviously, if they're not asking specifically for it, then move on. Agreed. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of students reapply to medical school. It's not that big of a deal. And that is, that's a general good rule for secondaries, right? Is don't insert an agenda. Don't answer a question they didn't ask. So, yeah. If you're lucky enough to have some secondaries that don't say, tell me about what you're doing as a reapplicant, move on. Mm-hmm. Jessica got prereqs in 2013, master's in biomedical sciences in 2020. Purpose for the master's was to help my GPA 3.01 in undergrad, 3.6 masters are prereqs to old. Will masters make up for old prereqs? Um, masters will not make up for old prereqs if medical schools have specific rules around it. Um, the the whole point is to for medical schools is to show specific competencies around organic chemistry for some dumb reason I don't know <laughs> but um, the uh, the medical schools will have rules on on what they what they want so you just have to reach out to the schools and ask about um, uh, what what they think. Yep. Amy asks, stuck on how to answer this secondary question, discuss the role diversity played in your decision to become a DO. Do I talk about diversity and then why DO and try to tie it together? Hmm. Rachel, how do you read that? Discuss the role diversity played in your decision to become a DO. That's really interesting because the way I read it is they're assuming diversity played a role. Right in your decision to be a DO, which I don't think it necessarily did. Unless, again, diversity doesn't always mean um, self-identification questions that are boxes we check on forms, right? It could be, I think the country needs more osteopathic physicians and I want to be one of them. Yeah. Um, so, but I can't, I can't answer for you the question, of course, because I don't know what, what your why medicine is. But I would say here, don't be limited in your definition of diversity, right? A lot, a lot of secondaries ask about diversity. And, you know, we've seen successful diversity essays or essay, secondaries in particular that talk about um, your school has no greenery and I want to bring some gardening to it. Um, or, you know, here, here's a thing that happened to me that I'm excited to share with the team, um, you know, with my classmates. But yeah, yeah. that's an interesting one. So, so to her, her question, right, do I talk about diversity and then YDO? I, I don't think that's what the question is asking, if that's right. literally the question there about discuss the role diversity played in your decision to become a DO. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, say, I don't know if I've seen that question before, so I'm interested to know what school that is. Yeah. And if that's the literal, <laughs> the literal uh, prompt. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, be interested to see the word-for-word prompt. Yeah. Do DO programs yield yield protect, or is this concept a myth? I have a 399 science GPA and a 514 MCAT. Will this keep me out of some programs? Aha. So this this came up, I think, last week or two weeks ago. Um, Yield protection is a thing at all schools, everywhere. Um, And so, yeah, it could be an issue. And... If you think it may be an issue, reach out to the school. Write really good secondaries about why you want to go there. 
um, and potentially reach out to the school and say, hey, like, I want to go here. So for, for someone who doesn't understand yield, yield protection, basically, the, the whole process of applying to medical school from the, an admissions committee standpoint is we have 10,000 verified applications that come into our school. We have 200 seats. We need to whittle down to 600 interviews for those 200 seats. We need to accept from those 600 interviews, we need to accept 300 people or whatever that number is. Each school kind of knows their data, hopefully, (laughs) Um, so that they know we accept this many people every year. We know that some percentage of those people that that we accept are not going to come here because they're going to go to other schools. They are trying to figure out who are the best people, not only for their class, but also who are going to come. And that is the game that admissions committees play year in and year out. And it's stressful for them because they don't want to undersubscribe a class because then they're not getting full tuition. They're not staffing up for clinical rotations and all that stuff. They don't want to oversubscribe because they don't have enough uh, butts and seats for all the butts in, in lecture halls and stuff. And so you'll see every once in a while on Reddit and student doctor network, Hey, school so-and-so, has asked me to defer a year and they'll give me $20,000 in tuition, uh, like financial aid. If it's, it's basically the same thing when you go to the airport and, and Southwest is like, Hey, we have too many passengers. Will anyone take a, 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 a voucher um, to fly at a later time? It's the same exact thing. Mm-hmm. Airlines oversell tickets because they know people won't show up. Um, it's the same exact thing. And I've, I don't know why I've never thought about that uh, until just now. So um, anyway, so yeah, yield protection is a thing. So they, a, a DO school or, or very likely, uh, I, I talk about this a lot for Texas schools. If you're a Texas resident, you have a really strong application and you apply to an Oklahoma school or a Louisiana school or a whatever school that, that borders Texas, that school may go, wow, you're a really great student but you're a Texas resident, you're going to want to stay in Texas because mm-hmm. everyone wants to stay in Texas when you're from there. Um, so that, that happens to Texas residents. That happens to really high stat people um, applying to DO schools. Potentially, it happens to really high stat people applying to what they consider safety schools because they go onto this stupid MSAR and they go, oh, here are my stats. Oh, look, UC Riverside has a median MCAT of 509 or whatever it is. And I have a 520. They'll definitely want me. And you're from New York uh, City and uh, stayed on the East Coast for your education and you've never stepped foot in California. They're, they're not going to take you because they know you're not going to go there and you don't fit their mission. So, yeah. <sighs> Yeah, long rent. McKenna, um, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I, yeah, I was just going to say, I'm glad you touched on the safety school thing because that's that for me has been a concern that I've seen people think they were getting yield protected out, but they talk about DOs like safety schools. I think their essays aren't compelling. Um, and I've definitely seen people get rejected from DO long before they hear about MDs. And I think, yeah, it could be yield protector. It could be they could tell you weren't into it. Yeah. Right? People are not excited to be backups, right? That's, they don't, they don't want to have a class of future physicians who are all there begrudgingly. Yeah. I, I want to come to your school because my stats are good enough and you'll be my, my worst case scenario. <laughs> yeah. Homie, don't play that. <laughs> I, I miss that skit. Anyway, McKenna, McKenna asks, how do we tackle why this school for a brand new school? I discussed the opportunities to build student culture and their mission. What else? What else? Verinia. New schools popping up left and right. Uh, Nashville's getting a new medical school. So Mm. I I just learned about that from Belmont University. Um, When when you can't really draw upon what has been done, how do you how do you answer this question? Yeah, this is a, that's a great question. Um, uh, definitely approaching it from the opportunities to build on what they're um, trying to accomplish there through mm-hmm. student culture, through their mission, opportunities to um, help the schools 
the school itself grow and, and recognition, I guess. Um, I don't know if maybe not recognition, but at least definitely talking about helping the school itself grow um, and being, being kind of proud of being in the position to be that first class um, to be able to do that, I think is really exciting too. So, Loud and proud. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Olivia, what are your recommendations on staying positive and persevering while waiting on results from a third MCAT attempt Mm -hmm. and second application cycle? So my biggest concern, let me just talk about a concern real quick, and then we'll talk about some, some uh, motivation. If you're it's, it's end of July as we're recording this, you're still waiting on an MCAT attempt and hopefully you've submitted an application now waiting on that MCAT. Like it's getting late. Why, why, why did you take that MCAT so late? Now maybe you took it in March or April and you got your score back and you're like, Oh no, I need to take it again. And you wanted to submit or whatever. So maybe that's the, the thing, but you have to make sure you're setting yourself up for success when you apply to medical school and taking the MCAT late and get having a, a late application that's finalized is just shooting yourself in the foot. So outside of that, Rachel, um, what kind of yoga mindset can we bring into uh, some, some peace and comfort here? Yeah. Um, so uh, I did a session called yoga for pre-meds a few weeks ago that was sort of specifically aimed at people taking the MCAT this summer so Olivia, you may want to check that out. Um, right now, there's not a lot of yoga for pre-meds on YouTube. So I think if you search that phrase, you'll find that video in the top couple hits. It's on my yoga channel, not on Mapped. Although we could put it on Mapped. Um, but it's about being now. And it's about the ethos that Ryan and I talk a lot about here in Mapped, which is collaboration, not competition. Um Ryan already said the challenge of applying late is you are putting yourself a little bit behind the competition because some of them are getting interviews soon, but that's done. That's already happened, right? So now you're in the situation you're in. You still have a chance because the only way you have no chance is if you don't apply. So I think you have to do a little positive self-talk where you're just going, I'm doing the best I can with what I've got. And then also giving your brain a break. And some of us are good at just going, okay, brain, that's enough fretting. I'm moving on. Um, Some of us need some help redirecting. Part of that yoga for pre-meds video literally talks about how to do some of that redirecting. So you can check that out. But um, if you are waiting on the results for the application for the MCAT and you've already completed all your secondaries, then I think the other thing you can do is take action with whatever's next in the process. Right? So ideally interviews are coming, Don't be behind the game on those. Um, Sometimes with hybrid interviews, you only get a couple days notice. Do that prep as soon as you have all your secondaries in um, so that you kind of think, okay, maybe I didn't start as far out in front of the timeline as I wanted, but when interviews come, I'm going to be able to take the first time slot I'm offered and I'm going to be totally prepared. Um, so, So some of it is distracting yourself and some of it is going, where can I get ahead now? And I'm going to do it. And good luck. Godspeed. <laughs> Started watching season three of For All Mankind. Oh, such a good show. Such an amazing show. Bakery asks, I am an incoming freshman. What can I do now that would make an impact? Open up a mapped app account. Make sure that you're tracking all of your activities, your GPAs, writing reflections, tracking all of that stuff, um, getting that uh timeline roadmap based on when you are planning on starting medical school, potentially look at signing up for map to app pro um, to chat with one of our amazing advisors um, as you need. But the the goal is to learn how to be a student first and Mm -hmm. foremost, as, as you're launching your college career, don't worry about all of the other things that you're seeing people do. I don't know why my phone is ringing. I have do not disturb on. Um, <laughs> uh, don't worry about what other people are doing, getting activities, uh, joining clubs, all that stuff. Be a good student first and foremost, and then mm-hmm. figure out how to add on after that. And enjoy. Enjoy, enjoy. it. Enjoy. 
Yeah. I love first years. They're a blank slate. <laughs> so much potential there. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Don't forget to sleep. Don't forget to eat decently yeah. sometimes. Make good choices. Don't forget to have fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Make good choices and have fun. There's a nexus there. Yeah. Don't get arrested. No institutional action. Yeah. Make, make calculated choices when there you're you having go. fun. <laughs> but yeah, be, be a pre-med, but also be a person. Um, yeah. One more here. AJ, is it a red flag if all my clinical experience hours are spent scribing and assisting an ophthalmologist? Nope. Okay, one more. <laughs> David asks, what are your thoughts on cold contacting physicians about shadowing? As in reaching out to doctor's offices you don't know to see if they'll let you shadow for a day. I think that is a wonderful idea. And probably a necessity mm-hmm. to to get shadowing. It's, it's something that students will be like, I couldn't get any shadowing. I'm like, how did you try to look for shadowing? I just Googled and I didn't see anything. <laughs> like you gotta you gotta go out and and face rejection in the face. Be like, hey, I don't know if you allow this. Um, I'm a pre med student. I would love to shadow Dr. Smith because I read online, blah, 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 right? Be as specific as possible. Be as complimenting as possible. Do your research. Don't just blind call a hundred different offices and go, uh, can I shadow? Can I shadow? Can I shadow? Can I shadow? Right? Tell them a little bit about who you are. Go to hippatraining.com and say, hey, I'm a HIPAA certified uh, pre-med student, um, vaccinated HIPAA certified pre-med student. Um, so yeah, I think it's wonderful. Start with your own doctors. That's a, a good place to start. Friends and families, doctors, and um, those personal connections go a long way. All right. Well, I'm sorry that we couldn't have our new advisor, Courtney here. She had some tech issues that, uh, caused her to not be able to join us, but she will be with us uh, forevermore um, until the end of days. Uh, because once you start working for MAPT, there's no escape. Right, Verinia? Absolutely. <laughs> there's no um, going back. There's no going back. We appreciate all of you coming and hanging out with us to answer questions here at Ask MAPT. No longer Ask the Dean. Um, we are now ask mapped and you can ask map lots of questions, um, at mapped app pro by signing up for a free account, um, as a trial with that 30 days free, go check it out. We have some fun, interesting and, um, uh, amazing features coming to mapped app, both on a pro level and a free level, including we're going to enter all of your grades for you because a lot of you are scared of doing that. So that's coming soon. Stay tuned yes. for that. We will see you next week here at Ask Mapped. Vernia, Rachel, thank you so much for joining me or joining all of us. Yes. Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. See you next week. Bye. This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.